Welcome to a special bonus episode of Shujin Academy VGM Club. I'm Professor Tom, your faculty sponsor. This is a very different episode than what I normally do. A few weeks ago, I sat down and recorded an episode with my friend John. He's been my friend for over 20 years. He's been my roommate on multiple occasions, and he also officiated my wedding to my beautiful wife. Because I've got a guest on this episode, I decided to play with the format just a little. Instead of playing blocks of music, I'm going to play a song, and then John and I have some witty banter as he reacts to it. John's not a connoisseur of video game music, so I thought it'd be fun to hear how he reacts to stuff. I am definitely not used to recording two people in the same room, so I apologize if the audio on this isn't as good as a normal episode. And I'll be back soon with a new full episode of the show about whatever topic I pick out. Alright, let's start the music. Okay, that is Let's Go Away, advertisement from Daytona USA in the arcade, composed and performed by Takenobu Mitsuyoshi. And this is a special episode of Shujin Academy VGM Club. I am here at my buddy John's house. Hi there. And this is my buddy John. I am. And we're going to do a show together. I think this is a bonus episode and not a normal episode, so I'll give it some different number or something. Uh, John, introduce yourself to the people. Well, hi there. I'm John. Hello, people. Everyone out there. Uh, Tom and I go a long way back, and I suspect this will be an entertaining episode because I don't know a whole lot about video game music, so I suspect this will be particularly entertaining while all of you laugh at my ignorance and Tom plays me music that I am told I will have some sort of reaction to. So how'd you feel about Daytona USA? Uh... I would not have identified it if you hadn't immediately said the uh, the title afterwards. So I'm assuming that that's a song that we would have heard walking around the arcade as we did in our much, much younger years. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, Daytona USA is everyone's favorite game where you try to race around the Daytona racetrack. And there's a YouTube video of Takenobu Mitsuyoshi singing it, and he is so happy like he oozes happiness singing this song he's like it's the coolest thing ever so yeah i'm gonna try and provoke some reactions out of john be they good reactions or bad reactions john and i lived together for a long time Uh, we lived together for multiple years in college and we still like to hang out when we get the chance but he lives a long way away from me So I decided I had a couple days off from work. I thought I'd come and visit some people, including John, and hang out. And while I was here, let's record an episode of the show. I did his show when he was in college, and so he's doing my show now, but his show was different. Oh, that's true. Uh, For anyone who was at Southwest Missouri State around the year 2002 to 2005, which I assume is exactly none of you, you probably never heard of Bitter the Clown's Happy Fun Time show a show where I played loud, abrasive, obnoxious industrial music and then ranted at the audience in between songs. We might have a industrial, sort of pseudo-industrial type of a song here in a minute, but not now. All right, do we want to get into our next song? Let's do it. Okay.
So, John, did you recognize that song? I did not. It rang a little bit of a bell, and I suspect that once you tell me what it was, I'm going to be like, oh, yes, of course, I remember that. But right now, not quite pulling anything out of, uh, out of the brain. All right, that is the title theme for Bishojo Sinchi Sailor Moon for the Sega Genesis, or maybe more accurately the Mega Drive, since it didn't come out over here, composed by Akihata, and it's an adaptation of the original Sailor Moon theme, and I don't remember who composed that. Maybe I'll edit that in later. Future Professor Tom here. The original Sailor Moon theme was composed by Tetsuya Komuro with lyrics by Kanako Oda. I do, uh, I do remember us watching a little more Sailor Moon than we probably should have in our college years because at the time, because we're ancient, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of anime on TV. Anime was so hard to get back then. This would have been like late 90s, very early 2000s. Yeah, it was very early 2000s. We got out of high school. Well, I got out of high school in... Sorry, I got out of college in 2001. John got out of college slightly later. Mm, it's true. At the time, if you wanted anime, you basically had to go to Suncoast and choose between one of three VHS tapes. Uh, we would go to Blockbuster, and I was an anime fiend, and my girlfriend at the time was also pretty into anime, and so we'd go rent anime, and we'd hang out, and we'd watch it. We watched a lot of stuff. I, I liked Sailor Moon. I love Sailor Moon. I still love Sailor Moon. I think Sailor Moon is one of the crowning achievements of modern civilization. Well, in the name of the moon, I will punish you. That feels like an inappropriate reaction to what I just said. But, yeah, I do really like Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon was fine for me. It was one of those things where, because there wasn't much anime on TV, that's what you had. As I recall, there was a block of Sailor Moon and Ranma one half. So I... It would have actually been Sailor Moon and probably Gundam Wing and Dragon Ball Z. I don't think Ranma one half ever actually got shown on TV. I may be misremembering that. I do remember you watching a lot of Gundam Wing. Oh, I loved Gundam Wing. I remember coming home from work to the apartment we lived in, and you would just be there eating cereal, watching Gundam Wing. I love Gundam Wing. Them yaoi boys in their giant robots fighting because they're not allowed to make out. It's some quality Gundam. I still like Gundam Wing. Gundam Wing holds up. If you like it for what it is, and you're not expecting it to be something it's not. So what's your favorite anime? My favorite anime, that's a tough one because I don't, again, I don't watch a whole lot of anime. But I do have... You leave this house right now. This is my house. Not anymore. Okay. So the anime that I do like is anime that basically you exposed me to. I have fond memories of a summer when we watched Trigun. Trigun is a good show. Sure. I, I enjoyed Trigun. It's one of my few regrets in life that the two of us never got to cosplay as Vash the Stampede and, uh, and Wolfwood. That would have been cool. We, we could have pulled it off. My all-time favorite anime is Cowboy Bebop. I think Cowboy Bebop is the best anime ever made. Fellow VGM podcaster Hammock of KVGM agrees with me, and it's always nice to get on Twitter and see him validate my opinions. Obviously, since you like Cowboy Bebop and Trigun is my favorite anime, one of us is wrong, and you know what this means. Holy War! Yeah, okay, I probably have that coming. Yep. You can't like two things. Try to just convert my kids instead of killing them. No promises, but I'll try. All right. Let's move on into our next song, and we'll see how John feels about it.
All right, John. So, wow, it's been a while since I heard that, and I probably spent the first half of it racking my brains, because I know the song. You ever had that experience where you hear something, you know you know it, you know what's coming in the song, and you're trying to just pull out, where do I know that from? That's from F-Zero. That's right. It's Big Blue by Yumiko Kanki from the Super Nintendo version of F-Zero, since there's been sequels and ports and uh, whatnot. I believe you owned F-Zero and a Super Nintendo back in the day, did you not? I did own a Super Nintendo, and I did own a copy of F-Zero. I will say that I was good at it, but never great. Never finished it, because I'm just not that great at video games. But I do have a, uh, a favorite character to play as. Um, Who is it? Sadly, it's been long enough that I don't remember the name of the character. I do remember that the car was red. Okay, the car is red. That's... Oh, what's his name? The the sumo guy who drives the fire stingray. I don't remember right. his name either. The franchise mascot is Captain Falcon, and he's in Smash Brothers. He drives the blue car. My son really likes Smash Brothers. I've gotten great at Smash Brothers. John, how much do you love Smash Brothers? I like Smash Brothers just fine, actually. During our college years, I would occasionally hang out with some uh, with some folks who would get together and play Smash Brothers. So, man, I can mash buttons with the best of them. And there is no button mashier game than Smash Brothers. You know, it's funny that you say that because the idea that Smash Brothers Melee in particular, which is what John is talking about, the fact that Smash Brothers Melee had a tournament scene was like this big revelation to me when I found out. And then I got to know some people who were playing competitive Smash and... I eventually got converted from skeptic in the idea of Tournament Smash into kind of a believer in it. I certainly have a lot of respect for it now. I, I will never be a Tournament Smash player, but it's a cool game. People sitting in one space uh, spamming Samus Aran's missiles, uh, instant, instant execution. No trial, no jury. <laughs> Can I say that? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. You, you can advocate for uh, summary judgment here on my show. Then I choose to do people. so. What's funny is, like, I didn't really understand until I started playing competitive fighters the idea that there was no such thing as spamming a thing. If you spam, If your opponent spammed a thing, the solution was not summary execution. The solution was figure out a way around it. Get good, scrub. I will absolutely wear my scrub badge, and that's fine. But I think there's something to be said for... Hang on, John. We've got a song for you. Uh-oh. I don't want your number, no. I don't want to give you mine, and no. I don't want to meet you nowhere. Something, 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 something. I I don't want no scrubs. A scrub is a John that can't get no love from me. Hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. Trying to holler at me. Who sings that? TLC. Let's keep it that way. All right, so you were saying something about something. Yeah, so as a, uh, as a certified scrub and filthy casual, um, I will say there's something for just playing a game to have fun. There is, actually. Yeah. I like playing games to have fun, but... You don't have to go into tournament mode if your admittedly scrub casual friend is playing there as well. Yeah, I play um, Neo Turf Masters. Uh, also known as Big Tournament Golf. I play that game purely casually. Tried to join a tournament. I was turning in like scores that were like 3-4 over par for the whole course and trying to improve, and it just drove me insane. And I was looking at these people who were turning in scores of like 16 on an 18-hole golf course, and I was like, oh my god! And how did that make you feel? Uh, inadequate, mm -hmm. and definitely like I wanted to drink. <laughs> That's later. Probably so. I did bring a bottle of absinthe. I love absinthe. I love absinthe so much. Believe it or not, I don't do it for goth cred. I started drinking absinthe absolutely for goth cred uh, because it had just been made legal in the United States, and I was around some people, and we saw a bottle. We had to buy it. I was fully prepared to drink it, hate it, but still say I drank absinthe for goth cred, but I actually ended up loving it. And in fact, uh, you probably remember this. I actually got a reaction out of professional wrestler CM Punk. I do remember this. It was cool. We were in Springfield attending um, attending the taping of a talk show that professional wrestler CM Punk was a guest on, and he did a meet and greet afterwards in a local bar, which is an interesting place for someone as straight edge as CM Punk. Now, everybody they interviewed actually did a meet and greet at the bar. Mm -hmm. That's how that worked. That's why he was there. Right. 
So I went up to the bar. I love absinthe. I got some absinthe. Probably 10, 15 minutes later, we go up to CM Punk and say, hey, can we get a picture or can we get an autograph or something? And just making conversation, he looked down and said, hey, what are you drinking? I said, absinthe. And he just looked at me and said, oh, my God. And uh, that's the moment you can see immortalized in the picture of the three of us. Punk is actually a pretty cool guy in person. All right, we're going to move on to our next song now. Let's see what John thinks of it. Okay, John, what did you think of that? I cannot identify that song, but I'm sure that once you tell me what it is, I'm going to go, oh my god, of course it is. Did you recognize it at all? Did it sound familiar? Uh, unfortunately, no. So if it is a song that I've heard, it's buried so deep in the recesses of my mind that I can't pull it back. What if I told you it was composed by Yoshihiro Sakaguchi? Uh, Yasuaki Fujita and Yoko Shimomura. I know how much you like Shimomura's stuff. Um, obviously, I uh, can't get enough of Shimomura's stuff. Um, I believe I saw him lose to Iron Chef Morimoto. That you don't time. even know who Yoko Shimomura is. Of course I don't. That's the gimmick of this show. Uh, what was I listening to? You were listening to Background Music 1 from Final Fight. Okay, okay. Um, I'd be lying if I said I recognized it. But that does kind of make sense. Okay. Has uh, that gritty urban feel. It has some urban flavor. Yeah, Yoko Shimomura is very known for uh, gritty urban feel in her compositions because she's a girl. Yoko is not a boy's name. Oh. I know how much you really were struck by the plot of Kingdom Hearts, which is another game she composed. I... I'm aware of Kingdom Hearts. I know it features Disney characters and Square Enix characters, if That's I'm right. not mistaken. Hey, how about that? Uh, was it just Square at the time? Uh, no, at the time it was Square Enix, okay. I think. Even by Final Fantasy standards, the plot is convoluted. Incredibly convoluted. So more convoluted than the main character being the memory of a dream of a city that someone remembered after eating too much pot roast? Yes. The first game had a pretty straightforward plot. By the, by the time you get to Kingdom Hearts 3, there's time travel involved, and people are like shadow clones of themselves, and also there's a bunch of witches who've erased people's memories, and Mickey is undercover as like this cool-looking like ninja dude, because that's what Mickey Mouse is, a cool-looking ninja dude. Of course. Now, cut, cut this segment out if I'm entirely wrong about this. Oh, no, I'm keeping it. Okay, then I guess I just won't be wrong about this. Am I correct in remembering that one of the villains in the Kingdom Hearts series is Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? You are incorrect. I am incorrect? You are incorrect. Oh. You are incorrect. I think you're thinking of Epic Mickey, where Mickey fights alongside Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Okay. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit is a character that is fascinating to me because I love weird forgotten things and odd failures. You know, there's a whole episode of my show about weird forgotten things. Really? And failures, yes. You should probably listen to your show. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm, of course, I'm horribly uh, offended that you don't listen to every episode of my show and worship it. I think you'd also like the April Fool's episode. I probably would. I enjoy April Fool's episodes. 
So, did you play Final Fight? I have played Final Fight. I don't remember if I played it solely in the arcade or if I had a home port of it. Was there a home port? There were actually multiple home ports. I played the arcade music. The most recognized home port is the port for the Super Nintendo, but it's a pretty lousy port because it only allowed three characters to be on screen at the same time, and the arcade version had an upper limit of like 10 or 15. That was, things got chaotic, and it was great. And uh, the Super Nintendo port only let you play one player, whereas the original version let you play two player, and that was half the appeal. And there was also a Sega CD port, and that one apparently is pretty good, although I've never played it because I didn't know anybody who had a Sega CD growing up. Uh, there's also an Amiga port and a Game Boy Advance port, and of course they are brought the original game to the Xbox 360 and PS3 via emulation, and yeah. So the answer to that is yes, there was a home port. Yes, there was a home port. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't like a home port that really carried the water. Like, if you really wanted the Final Fight experience at home, you played Streets of Rage. Of course. That's a Neo Geo title? No. No? Okay. Man, I'm wrong about everything on this show. I, you know, I did not do a good job of teaching you about video games when we lived together. I think part of it is because I wasn't playing a lot of Genesis titles at the time, and I was listening to techno-industrial from the mid to late 90s. It's funny you say that because uh, Streets of Rage 2 actually is known for having the best Genesis soundtrack, and it's very techno-industrial. Hmm. You should, legit, you should check it out. And another interesting fact uh, about Streets of Rage is that it is name-dropped in uh, one of Max's Terrifying Heads songs. That's right, it is. Do you remember which one? Murder Bulimia. It was Murder Bulimia. The seminal breakout hit uh, by Max's Terrifying Head Murder Bulimia. Uh, I believe that was on a B-side with Christ Puncher. I think it was. Everybody loves Max's Terrifying Head. They were literally the most popular band in the world when we were in college. And by most popular band in the world, I mean five people listened to them because John put together songs that we wrote as a joke. We were huge in Osvlakia. Yes, we were huge in Osvlakia, the fictional Eastern European country where smiling is outlawed and so is sunshine. Speaking of techno-industrial music, actually I think the next song has a very techno-industrial feel, so let's see how you feel about the techno-industrial feel of the next song and if it gives you the feels. I'm feeling it. Feeling no 
fresh blood appears in the media Getting ginger with come from place I'm telling ya Anywhere you be from New York to Siberia Cut up in your own beat and shake it till we end I'ma put it down, grabbing this crown Make your dollars on the ground, gonna double up now Six to five to four to three, two, one more time Baby, punk that is Deep Breath, Deep Breath from Persona 3, composed by Shoji Meguro with uh, rapping from Lotus Juice. When I thought of doing this episode, I thought, oh, that would be a good song for this episode because it's got some industrial feels to it, and I know John loves the industrial musics. I do indeed. Uh, as I was listening to that, obviously this is not a song that I know, although you've recommended that I play the Persona series multiple, multiple times. And I evangelize for it. And every time I, I smile and go, yeah, I should, I should really give that a shot, and then I don't do it. The closest comparison that I can make, or what jumps out to me immediately, is it sounds a lot like a band called um, Schwein, which is a collaboration between Raymond Watts of Pig and I believe uh, the rest of the members from a band called Buck Tick. I'm not quite sure what exactly is drawing me to make that comparison, but it sounds very reminiscent of that band to me. Japanese also, rap. It's Schwein is very Japanese rap. You can just see it in the name. It's true. Also a bit of um, another band, a very similar band called Shaft, which is a collaboration between, again, Raymond Watts of Pig, Sasha Kanitsko of KMFDM, and some other folks whose names I cannot recall at this particular time. Industrial music is very collaborative. It very much is. Uh, there's an entire family of bands that I can put together that just expand like a web. This person collaborated with this person, was a member of this band, guested on this, did a remix for this. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm digging that song. I may have to track it down. All of the Persona 3 soundtrack does not sound like that. Uh, that one's actually kind of an exception because it sounds it sounds much more aggressive, and I'm just going to say the word ugly, than a lot of the Persona 3 music, and a lot of what Shoji Meguro does in general, but that one just felt so industrial that I was like, I have to play this for John. He'll think it's cool. And I know how much you like Lotus Juice, too. Oh, no doubt. So if the rest of the soundtrack doesn't sound much like that, what is the context for that song? What What is happening in the game that makes that song appropriate? I have not played enough Persona 3 to recall, because every time I've tried to play Persona 3, my Vita has eaten the save about halfway through, and that's halfway through a 120-hour game, so it's kind of hard to start it over. It's sad and painful, and I wish I had infinite time to play JRPGs. Uh, Persona 3 is the one I've played the least of the Primary Colors series. I've played 4 and 5 quite a bit, and I love them both, and I'm super excited for next week when Persona 4 gets re-released uh, for the Switch. Uh, sorry, no, Persona 5 gets released for the Switch. I'm going to have to download it and play through it again. So if you know when that song pops up or in what context it's used... I'm pretty sure there is a very unpleasant boss fight happening or a very unpleasant revelation because I do know the plot of Persona 3 and there are some pretty intense revelations and things that happen. It also has a great J-pop ending song. Really? Oh, yes. Uh, Memories of You is beautiful. Hmm. I'm not a huge J-pop fan, as anyone listening to this episode would probably expect from me by now. It'll convert you. We'll, we'll see if that happens. All right, I'm not playing it on this episode. Okay, good. You can't stream it on Spotify, though. I was shocked. Hmm. So, J-Rap. How much do you like the J-Rap? Love it. Can't get enough. It's it's my primary interest. Never heard any J-Rap. Actually, it's kind of cool. Like I like Lotus Juice. I'm not a huge fan of J-Rap because it's in another language and I don't speak Japanese. Mm. I do love Shoji Meguro. You know if you listen to the show how much I love Shoji Meguro. Uh, that is not sarcasm for you, John, who does not listen to the show. I literally did an entire episode devoted to Shoji Meguro. It is interesting listening, listening to rap in a language that is not the one you speak. I don't have any J-Rap experience, but I do have some experience with rap in German. I speak a little bit of German, and the way the German language is structured, everything fits together like Lego. So German rap is very precise. It is beat, 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 beat. And it doesn't have quite the flexibility that English does to make things fit or not fit. Either it fits into the scheme or it doesn't. All right, so like... Uh, let me see if I can talk to you in your native language. Yes. Hoisting mein ist in mein Strudelhausen ist in mein Berlin echt in mein uh, Volkswagen Fahrvergnügen verboten. How dare you, sir? 
Okay, let's go to the next song. Actually, before we go to the next song, I should apologize to anyone listening who actually speaks German. My mock German is horrible. Okay, now let's go to the next song. Okay, did you recognize that song? It's from a game that I played a lot, actually, when we lived in the dorms together. I am not going to immediately prove myself wrong by naming the exact game that's from, but I will tell you at least the franchise that it's from, and hopefully get it right. That is from a Street Fighter game, am I correct? You are correct. That is uh, Ryu's stage from Street Fighter Alpha 2, composed by Siyun Nishigaki, Setsuo Yamamoto and Tatsuo Suzuki, and the original song is composed by Yoko Shimamura and then adapted for Alpha 2. Alpha 2 takes a lot of the original songs from Street Fighter 2 and uh, redoes them in a slightly different context. Alpha 3 took all the songs and went in its own direction, and then Street Fighter 3 took all the songs and went in its own direction, and then Street Fighter Four came back and revisited the original themes. Right. I, I do remember you playing quite a bit of super mega ultra hyper Street Fighter Two Championship Edition X Capcom versus Marvel Double Cheese Edition. Pretty sure the real game is either Marvel versus Capcom 2 or Capcom versus SNK or Capcom versus SNK 2. I am sure you're right about that. Uh, I would hope so. I did own Street Fighter 2, again, for the Super Nintendo, but it was just regular Street Fighter 2, not any one of the zillions of versions and editions that came after that. I really got deeper into Street Fighter 2 as my life went on, and at one point, I I went to uh, the Evolution Fighting Championships twice, which was really cool. I didn't do very well. I didn't even get out of pools, but I enjoyed the experience, and... Seeing the fighting game tournament live was really cool. And, of course, I love... I have always loved fighting games. Capcom vs. SNK got me into the King of Fighters franchise. And one year for Halloween, I dressed up as Iori with the red pants with the belt between them. And I fell in love with it, liked those pants so much, I continued to wear them regularly for months afterward. I remember those pants. I'm sure somewhere I have a picture of you in those pants. You have threatened me with those pants on multiple occasions. They're great pants. Those are, of all the pants I've ever seen, that is certainly a pair. 
I can no longer fit into them. I have gained too much weight. I'm not even sure where they actually are now. I might have gotten rid of them, which is sad. Um, oh, I know where they are. I got rid of them. I don't doubt you. You or my wife. Either would be would be appropriate. So here's a question for you. And if we're going way off topic and way oh, no. over time, let me know. I played Street Fighter 2 as a, as a younger person on my Super Nintendo. I also had a copy of Mortal Kombat, and I remember Mortal Kombat being a really big thing. Uh-huh. But what I don't hear about is a tournament scene for Mortal Kombat. There is a tournament scene for Mortal Kombat. It's not as big as the tournament scene for Street Fighter or uh, Marvel vs. Capcom, or Smash Brothers, but the competitive Mortal Kombat does exist. It's dominated, or at least was dominated for a while, by a person by the name of Sonic Fox, and they were well-known for... They're a furry, and they were well-known for competing in costume, although they didn't... Obviously, they had their hands uncovered, and uh, they're quite the character, actually, (laughs) Uh, Sonic Fox is pretty cool. I like have a certain level of respect for Sonic Fox, especially since they were very out and proud about their gender identity and sexual identity and telling other people to go get bent <laughs> if they didn't respect them. So what is it, at least in the, the earlier days, what was it that differentiated Mortal Kombat from the Street Fighter-style games that led to Street Fighter taking off and being a tournament staple and Mortal Kombat being on a lesser level? I'm probably not the best person to ask because my knowledge of fighting game scene history isn't perfect, but I believe the uh, I believe the thing is that Mortal Kombat was not nearly as big a franchise in Japan as it became in America, Street Fighter was not designed. Street Fighter Two was not designed as a tournament game, but when it became such, it was wholeheartedly embraced by Capcom, and they did some support for it. And also, Japanese arcade culture is much different than American arcade culture, so there sprang up an enthusiast scene in both Japan and the United States surrounding Street Fighter. And Mortal Kombat never quite received the same level of love and support uh, from Midway or from the community. And also, I think part of it is that the Mortal Kombat games got really bad there in the middle. There are some really dark years for Mortal Kombat. For Street Fighter, you had Street Fighter Three Third Strike that earned the loyalty of a lot of fans and became... It evolved from disappointing initial release into cult classic and now it's thought of as one of the best fighting games ever made. So I think that's the answer to your question. Maybe someone who's more of a historian of the fighting game community than I am can answer on Twitter. Okay, I will take you at your word, uh, because my knowledge of video game culture and specifically tournament culture is milk. All right, let's get to our next song. Let's do it. We'll be right back. 
Okay, John, did you recognize that swinging song? I recognized bits and pieces of it. Um, I can't place it. So is this a song that you believe that I should know? The answer is maybe. It's from an NES game. It's a well-known NES game, but it's not like the most popular NES game. It's like the B-tier of NES games in terms of popularity. It's an A-tier game in terms of quality. Not like Super Mario or Mega Man, but like a B-level franchise. And I definitely feel like it's a good swinging tune. You know, if you told me that was a Mega Man song, I would have agreed with you. So what genre is this video game? It is a side-scrolling platformer, like Mega Man. But unlike a lot of side-scrolling platforms, there is no jump. Side-scrolling platformer, no jump. Stars a guy named Nathan Rad Spencer. Wow, okay. When you say no jump, uh, I immediately go to Bionic Commando. And that's what it is. Hey! It is the Area 2 theme from Bionic Commando, and I'm going to have to come back and redub the uh, composer in because I don't know who it is off the top of my head, and I don't have it in front of me. Professor Tom here. The original arcade version of Bionic Commando was scored by Harumi Fujita, and the NES version was composed by Junko Tamiya. But yeah, Bionic Commando. Command, that's generally considered the Bionic Commando theme, and uh, that's the NES version. There is an arcade version as well, but I think of Bionic Commando as an NES game first and foremost because I do not like the arcade version, but I love the NES version. The NES version is amazing. You know, that's the thing about NES ports that, from, specifically from our from arcade games, where you could get something entirely different to the arcade game and still have a fantastic time. The example I'm thinking of specifically here is a game called Strider. Did you uh, play Strider? No, but I know the NES version of Strider took it in a very different direction than the arcade game, and the Genesis port is a very faithful port, but the NES version is more of a Metroidvania, where you're just going to different places and exploring and trying to figure out stuff. That's exactly right. I grew up with the NES port of Strider, and I thought, this is Strider. That's what Strider is. In fact, I don't (laughs) think I'd ever seen the arcade version until much, much later. I saw it, remembered, hey, I like Strider. Let's play this. I don't like this at all. Yeah. It's it's... so different. Oh, my God. They're like night and day. Capcom actually did that with several home-to-arcade ports. Bionic Commando is one. Uh, Strider is one. UN Squadron for the Super Nintendo is a, a very different game from the original one. Like, the arcade version doesn't let you buy different planes or choose different... Well, you can choose different pilots, but there are three pilots. Each one has their own plane, and that's it. You're just limited to the planes. I really appreciate that. I think it's a good way of taking advantage of the limited hardware of the NES or the Super NES and the fact that you would play a home game in a much different way than you'd play an arcade game. Strider in the arcade works out great for the arcade because you're sitting there, you feed in a quarter, you're like, oh my god, these graphics are amazing, and oh my god, I'm fighting this snake thing, and, you know, as arcade platformers go, it works out fantastically, but Strider for the NES is a much deeper game, which it needs to be because you're going to be putting a lot of hours into a game that you bring home. No doubt. Going back to Bionic Commando, I did not own a copy of Bionic Commando, uh, but I did play it a couple times because a friend of mine used to rent it on a regular basis. For our younger listeners, you used to have to go to a brick-and-mortar store to rent a video game cartridge uh, to take home and play for a couple of days. We did not have Steam, unfortunately. Oh, you still rent games. It's just that now you rent them and you don't know when you won't be able to have them anymore. Right. Physical ownership, kids, uh, there's some real merit to it. There really is. Um, I'll give up my admittedly small CD collection over my, uh, my cold dead body. But yeah, renting, uh, renting video games as a kid, that was a treat. Because you would go and you could pick out something that, okay, you get to play it for a couple of days. What's going to be fun for three days, four days? Final Fantasy? Probably not. Bionic Commando? Absolutely. You can have fun with that for a couple days before you have to give it back. And the nice thing was it wasn't a commitment. Like, you know, video games back in the days of our youth when we were little were 
video games were expensive as hell. Like, you know, they were $50 back then, but $50 in 1990 money is 80, 90 bucks today, maybe more. I don't have an inflation calculator in front of me. My parents, who were horribly cruel, made me save up money for all of the video game systems that I owned. They never bought me a single video game system as like a holiday treat. They would buy me video games as Christmas presents, but they didn't buy me tons and tons of them, except one Christmas when I was like in third grade, and I, I had an Atari 2600, and my mom went to KB Toys, found a bunch of Atari 2600 games that were being dumped because the system was dying, and she must have bought like all of them for five bucks each, and that's like how I got half the 2600 games that I owned as a kid. When I was uh, of roughly the same age when that would have happened to you, my family had an Intellivision. Ooh, Intellivision. Yeah, Intellivision was terrific uh, because my family, for some reason or another, always ended up backing the wrong formats <laughs> in, uh, in Technology Wars. We had an Intellivision. We had a Commodore 128. Did you have a beta? We did not have a beta. We we did get on. We did uh, back the right horse with VHS, but my dad. My family actually did have a beta. Ah, uh, my dad at some point uh, went to a toy store and scooped up probably twenty, thirty in television games for oh my pennies on the dollar because of the video game crash that was happening at the time. And so I had Tron Deadly Discs, Ameri um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and all sorts of these terrific Intellivision games that I wish I could still play. What happened to it? I am sure that the Intellivision and its associated games went away in a garage sale of some sort between then and now. That okay. happened to a lot of people in their Intellivision collection. It was, a, it was an interesting system with an interesting controller. It had a, a full number pad. And every game would come with a plastic overlay that would go over the pad and show you what buttons did what in the particular game you were playing. So you could have, theoretically, 12 different functions, um, a D-pad, which was the worst D-pad, and uh, two side buttons on each sides of the controller, which were the stiffest, most uncomfortable, make your, thumb make your thumbs bleed buttons I've ever used on any controller ever. If you want to torture yourself, track down on television and play with those side buttons. So it's a little bit like the controller for the iPu FZ22. I don't know what that is, but yes. Okay, well, we did a whole episode about the iPu FZ22, and y'all should go track it down and listen to it. Is that made up? It sounds made up. Uh, yeah, it's made up. Okay. But I did really do a whole episode about it, and it's great. It was the April Fool's Day episode. Okay, let's move into our next track.
Okay, I am sure you recognize that, and by sure you recognize that, I mean I am sure you don't recognize that at all. I don't recognize that at all, but let's see if we can narrow it down. Would I be incorrect in assuming that was from a fighting game? No, it is not from a fighting game. It is from the Neo Geo, which has a lot of fighting games, but it is not a fighting game. Okay. This is from a series that you and I have played together, though. A series that we have played together. Okay. We uh, played it on my MAME cabinet, if that helps you. We actually counted it up at the end, and if we had used quarters in the arcade, it would have taken us more than 10 bucks to finish the game. I think I remember the game you're talking about, but I cannot for the life of me place the name. So the song is Living on the Deck X, Mission 3, from Metal Slug X, and I'm going to dub in the composer later when I look it up. Future Professor Tom here. Metal Slug X was composed by Takushi Hiyamuta and Yoshihiko Wada. The game that we played together is Metal Slug 3. That Metal Slug, that is hard as nails. It's like Contra, but cartoonier and also harder and also with better graphics because it was for the Neo Geo. Yeah, shooting people with a, with a machine gun has never been cuter. <laughs> it really hasn't. Those Metal Slug games can be adorable Oh, those poor prisoners, too. They're, like, sitting there in rags, and they're so happy when you free them that they give you uh, they give you weapons. And I don't understand why the prisoners have weapons, and they can't just use the weapons to free themselves. Well, that would be silly. Uh, yeah, I guess there, then there would be no game. What did you think of it musically? Like, it's very jazzy. It is, and I think that's why I initially thought that was a fighting game, because... The, uh, the sax that, uh, that plays through most of it is something that I kind of associate with the fighting games that I've seen you play. Hmm. I'm not really sure why, but that, that's sort of an association that lives in my head. It is probably because my all-time favorite fighting game character is Yori Yagami from King of Fighters, and the saxophone is his signature instrument. His song is called Stormy Saxophone. I see. Okay, so that, that makes sense. Uh, musically, again, because I'm not a VGM person, I don't have a whole lot to compare to. To me, that's video game music. That's what video game music sounds like. To me, that song and several of the songs from the early Metal Slug games sound like the soundtrack for Neo Turf Masters, which is a golf game, but both Neo Turf Masters and the early Metal Slug entries were done by Nazca. I have this headcanon where... The space aliens from Metal Slug show up on Earth and challenge us to a golf tournament to determine the fate of the planet. And you are playing through that golf tournament in Neo Turf Masters. And then you win the golf tournament, but the aliens are frustrated. So they decide that they've come all this way with this huge armada, so they're just going to destroy Earth anyway. And so the Metal Slug games are about the same aliens from Neo Turf Masters deciding to destroy the whole planet and also like Tarma Roving who's one of the Metal Slug soldiers is cousins with Robert Landolt who's one of the golfers in uh, Neo Turf Masters so that is what is happening this is now my headcanon as well despite the fact that I've never played Neo Turf Masters Oh, it's beautiful. I love Neo Turf Masters. There was a point where it was my come home and have a couple drinks and play this game a little drunk. It's great. I featured Neo Turf Masters on the show, played the whole soundtrack. I can uh, I can certainly relate to playing games a little bit tipsy. I remember more than one game the two of us played of Drunken Taxi. Ah, uh, Drunken Taxi. That's crazy taxi, but you're drunk. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you do. No, it really doesn't. You, you, you have a couple of drinks, you load up the game, and then you immediately disregard everything the game tells you to do, and you drive around like a madman, <laughs> doing whatever you feel like, because it's drunken taxi, not crazy taxi. Uh, crazy taxi was great. John lived with me when I had my Dreamcast. Let me rephrase that. John lived with me when I got my Dreamcast, and through all of the system's lifespan... I love the Dreamcast. I love it so much I did a whole episode about it. And there's a holiday for it, too. John, you celebrate Castmas every single year, don't you? Religiously. You keep it in your heart? Um, sure, that that cinnamon roll swirl is just imprinted. That's right why there. you eat cinnamon rolls on Castmas. It's true. Is that really a thing? Absolutely it's really a thing. What else would you eat for Castmas dinner? 
Uh, that's a very good question, and I don't have an appropriate response to it. Let's go to our next song. Hey, so what did you think of that song? Off the bat, I can't identify it. Unsurprising. So I'll take a wild stab in the dark. Is that from a puzzle game? No, but the aesthetic is kind of puzzly. This is from a game I owned and that we played We played quite a bit of it. It's a Dreamcast game. Uh, technically, it's a the Dreamcast port of an arcade game, but I'm pretty sure the arcade game ran on the Naomi hardware. Which means nothing to you, but um, it's the Dreamcast arcade board. Well, the only thing that's jumping to mind right now is Soul Calibur, and I don't think that quite fits the aesthetic, so you're going to have to give this one to no. me. No. All right, I'll give you a hint. Uh, Blood Weasel. Okay, yep. I remember the game. Don't remember the name. Yeah, that's from Gunbird 2, and it is... I have it down as Track 2, and if there's a real name, I'm going to come in later and dub it. It's by Masaki Izutani. Future Professor Tom here. I looked it up, and the title of the song is Type of Essence. As a weird fact, I own Gunbird, still have the game. The copies of it go for over $100. Goodness. So should we explain Blood Weasel? Is there an explanation for Blood Weasel? If you're not familiar with Gunbird 2, which is almost everyone, uh, unless you're a very big bullet hell shooter fan, uh, one of the characters is Alucard, son of Dracula, and he's a vampire, and he's totally different than the Castlevania Alucard. Uh, we should actually mention this to your your partner, because I know she loves Dracula. She and does. Dracula lore. He is the son of Dracula, and one of his attacks involves filling the screen with a bloody cross and yelling, Blood Weasel! Which I'm sure is something... That is not actually Blood Weasel. No, it, it absolutely cannot actually be the words Blood Weasel, but that's what it sounded like, and so that's what we said every time we did it, was Blood <laughs> Weasel. It's a great game, though. Very cartoony, uh, very fun, has a, an adorable chibi aesthetic, doesn't take itself seriously at all. The final boss is like a monkey with crashing cymbals. And thank goodness we played that on your main cabinet, because there's no way we get through it if we had to pay for it. Oh no, playing it in, like, it takes a million credits to play through the game. I think we played the most on the Dreamcast, not on the main cabinet. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think we played Gunbird 1 on the, the main cabinet, because I never did own it. The Dreamcast version is a lot of fun. No, I'm, Gunbird 2 is a lot like Gunbird 1. There's just a million things on screen all the time and you have to dodge it constantly 
I didn't really know this until I met somebody who played top-down shooters heavily, but top-down shooters have their own, like, competitive... They have their own competitive-slash-enthusiast community, and it's full of some really neat people, and there are some really neat games being made. Most of them are indie-slash-doujin games. Uh, again, that's something that I'll take your word for, because I'm not plugged into the uh, the video game tournament scene. In that scene, are there particular games that are more favored than others? Like like we, what we were talking about before, with Street Fighter being the one of the dominant games in that scene. Uh, it's kind of different, because the top-down shooter is player versus environment, rather than player versus player. So the appreciation is for how well the shooter is constructed, and the challenges around, can you clear it in one credit? And, or how fast can you do it, or how good can you do it, how high of a score can you rack up with your one credit. It's really cool, and it's great that there are all these tiny little niches within the gaming community for stuff. Like, I am not a fan of Modern Warfare, or Madden, or whatever. It's cool that they exist. If you like to play them, that's great. I'm not going to badmouth you. But... I'm glad that it that the community is bigger than those things and the world is bigger than those things. And if you like weird stuff like Gunbird 2, there's an enthusiast group for you and you can hang out with them and play those games and even go to their convention. It's a wonderful time that we live in that even extremely weird people like the two of us can find little, little niches and communities for every single strange interest we have. The books we read, the video games we play, the podcasts we listen to, the music that we like. There's someone out there that likes the same things you do, and they're probably a lot weirder about it than you are, too. Sometimes the uh, nightmare hellscape dystopia of 2022 is all right. I wouldn't go that far. It's a nightmare hellscape uh, dystopia, and I I am no longer having fun. I would like to go home. All right. Well, since it's time to go home, it's time to go home. And that's the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. I'll record the outro later. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. That's the show. If you want to reach me, you can email me at shujinacademyvgmclub at gmail.com. Find my Professor Tom channel on YouTube by searching for Shujin Academy VGM Club, or use the link in the show notes. I'm on Instagram and Tumblr at Shujin Academy VGM Club. For the moment, I'm still on Twitter at Shujin VGM Club, although who knows if I'll be staying or even if Twitter will still be a thing. Please leave me a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're finding this episode. Look for new episodes on Thursdays whenever I get them done, which is typically once or twice a month. Special thanks for this episode goes out to my guest John for being on the show, and to you for putting up with us for the whole thing. Thanks for listening, I'm Professor Tom, and I'll see you next time on Shujin Academy VGM Club.